Welcome to Fifth Draw Wild, everybody. I'm your host, Matt, and if this is your first time with us, this is a show where I interview people about the slices of pop culture that they're most passionate about. We're jumping right into our episode today. I hope you enjoy it. And our guest today is returning guest, Christina. Christina, welcome back. Thank you. Good to be back. Well, what are we talking about today? All right, today we are going to be talking about uh, five musicals from the selection of Starker Productions, also known as Team Starkid. I am so excited for this. Uh, I have dabbled in these musicals, and I cannot wait to hear just how crazy they get. They, they do get pretty crazy, uh, but hopefully this will be a good way for those of for those of our listeners, our listeners, I guess, your listeners, my listeners, the listeners, to get to get their feet wet and hopefully to get to enjoy Team Star Kids' work. Absolutely. I, I'm already looking forward to being able to hear Alan's scream of joy from across an ocean. So. <laughs> oh, yes, he will be. He will be quite happy. He and Shannon. Yes, this is going to be great. So which one are we talking about first? All right. Well, uh, as with most good things, uh, I figured we would start at the beginning uh, with Team Star Kids uh, with an introduction to the production company and then into their first uh, full-length musical that they've posted on YouTube. Sounds great. All right. So quick recap, uh, Cliff Notes kind of summary of StarKid Productions. Uh, Team StarKid started uh, at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. Uh, They've been running since about uh, 2008, 2008, depending on how you like your dates formatted, where they all were members um, in and around the university's musical theater department. Their first production that they did as a group actually was a parody musical based on The Lord of the Rings, uh, which was apparently recorded, but never ended up seeing the light of day. So I'm I'm, I'm sure really that if sad you, about that. Yeah, uh, they apparently they had a whole puppet for Gollum uh, that was I believe controlled by two people. I'm sure that if people were to dig around, uh, you probably could find pictures, but I don't think there was ever any video that they were allowed to post on the internet. But based on that, uh, I'm sure they enjoyed it enough that they decided that they wanted to continue the process. And uh, so then they actually uh, got their friends all together and they started to create their first uh, full-length musical based on Harry Potter. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. I am Here we go. <laughs> ready to dig into this. This is going to be so much fun. It, it it is a it is a very fun company and they're they're a great production group. I've actually met a couple of them. One of my friends and I uh, went up to Chicago last summer, so summer of 2016, for their musical Firebringer, and we were there on the night they recorded for the YouTube uh, for the YouTube production of it. And we got to meet a couple of them, and they were very nice, but they also were very tired because it was like a four show day. That's that's really cool. It it was super cool. And then I saw one of them at, bro- at my brother's college graduation about a month ago. But I didn't say hi because he was already gone before I got before I realized it was him. Oh, wow. <laughs> All right, so uh, a very Harry Potter musical, then, huh? That's where we're starting yes. out. Yes, that is where we are starting out. The official title is actually a very Potter musical because I believe when they first posted it on YouTube, it actually was titled something along the lines of Harry Potter the Musical, but. They had to take down all of the recordings and then change all the, all the information because other they realized, oh shoot, if this gets famous, we might get sued. And they even posted a video of a little song that Darren Chris made about essentially, we had to take down the videos to change it so we don't get sued by Warner Brothers and J.K. Rowling. So we're going to put everything back up in 
you know, a, co- a week or whatever. And they did. And it now exists as a Very Potter musical on YouTube. And you can watch all their musicals on YouTube, except for, obviously, except for the Lord of the Rings one, because that's never going to be coming out, ever. They have they have a, a long list. From the day I first heard about the Potter musical years ago, like... Mm-hmm. That list has that playlist uh, section has grown significantly. Oh yeah, definitely. So, quick summary of of the Very Potter musical. The basic setup of a Very Potter musical is that it covers Harry's second year at Hogwarts. So, not the first one. His first year at Hogwarts is addressed in a Very Potter sequel. So, the second one they made chronologically, but it covers the first year but they wrote it second. The actual A Very Potter musical that came out in 2009, 2009, however you pronounce it, it covers uh, Harry's second year at Hogwarts. Um, But the way that Team Stark handles Harry Potter canon is that they kind of rearrange a lot of the elements chronologically. So A Very Potter musical contains pieces from The Goblet of Fire, The Order of the Phoenix, Half-Blood Prince, and Deathly Hallows. It is, it is definitely a parody musical, uh, which is Team Starkid's brand. But they, they address a lot of the... They cover almost every element of Harry Potter canon within the three musicals that they have based on Harry Potter. Okay. This production is... Uh, it's a really great production. It's kind of low quality, partially because it was their first show that they ever put up on the internet that they ever tried to record in any capacity. Uh, so the audio isn't always the best, and the video isn't of especially high quality. Uh, so that can be a little bit of a roadblock when you're trying to watch it for the first time. But it is, it's such a great musical because you can clearly tell how much the production company loves Harry Potter. One fun tidbit uh, from the production is that they had an incredibly low budget to create this whole musical with, to the point where I believe that the actors uh, were using their own clothes for the costumes. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like, you'll notice that the the Hogwarts ties and things aren't ever really one specific pattern or whatever because it was just, who has a red tie? Let's use their red tie. But at the same time, even though they had that incredibly small budget, they spent a lot of the money on king size, as in at least, like, 8 by 16, like, Hershey candy bars just for a one-off gag scene that Ron has. (laughs) That's pretty great. They they spent their money on that production where they really needed to spend it. They they do have a lot of uh, there are a lot of kind of I guess in I guess Harry Potter jokes like Ron's thing is that in every every scene Ron either eats he enters the scene eating some kind of food or he has some kind of food available. So the giant chocolate bar. Uh, there's there's a bag of uh. There's a bag of red vines that plays a role in the sequel. Ron always has food, which is something that they brought in from the movies. One thing about a Harry Potter musical is that, and the Starkid Harry Potter musicals in general, is that, in my personal opinion, they handle some of the elements from the books better than the movies handled them. Like, for example, uh, in the movies, one criticism has often been that that Ron and Harry's brotherhood doesn't really carry to the screen as much between Daniel Radcliffe and Rupert Grint. Whereas in the musicals, they make it very clear that, you know, Ron and Harry definitely are brothers. And yes, they have they have their issues, but they're also very close and very supportive of each other. Yeah, that really comes through. Like You can tell that from the first minute that the two of them are on stage. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. One other 
point about the Harry Potter musicals that they've done. They have so, they have an astonishing amount of foresight uh, with the events and elements that they include. And this also carries over to some of their other shows. Point of which is that I'm sure that if you enjoy Harry Potter, you are at least tangentially aware of Harry Potter and the Cursed Child and a lot of the controversy surrounding it. The Harry Potter musicals did... A, they did a lot of those elements earlier and in some cases handled it better than Cursed Child did. Which is really incredible given that Cursed Child is more or less canon. Oh, hopefully less canon. But, uh Audio medium, I'm shrugging here. That's, uh, that's a top topic for another day. Yeah, oh, it's, it's personal mm. opinion. Um, yeah. Some of the big main themes that a Harry Potter musical covers are the relationships, especially relationships between the characters, what it the cost of being driven uh, to work to accomplish your personal goals. I'm trying to think of a good way to say this besides self-absorption, but it is a well, I guess self-absorption is probably a good way to describe that topic that they handle. As with all Star Kid musicals, a Harry Potter musical can dig. Sometimes it digs really deep into the issues that they talk about. Like they handle a, they have a really, there's a really good scene about, I'd say three quarters of the way through it, um, where since it's covering elements of Deathly Hollows, uh, they're talking about hunting for the Horcruxes. And there's a scene where it's, it's the comparison to the locket scene from the movies and Deathly Hollows. It's a simple, they address it as simply as like, oh, like I would never come between you and Hermione. Why? Because you're my brother and I love you. And it's, it's. It's simple and heartfelt and very, it's a very good show. Notably, the music for this, uh, the music for a very Potter musical was created by uh, A.J. Holmes with some elements from Darren Chris. And A.J. and Darren uh, continue to play roles in Star Kid to this day, although Darren has really had to scale back. As a side note, uh, there are some people in Team Star Kid who hopefully some of you will recognize uh, from outside of Team Star Kid Media. Uh, some of them include uh, Darren Chris, uh, known most popularly as Blaine Anderson on Glee, and also uh, as J. Pierpont Finch in the revival of how to succeed of how to succeed in business without really trying, and Hedwig in the Angry Inch. Uh, he's done a lot of stuff with music, and then another one is A.J. Holmes. Uh, who has continued to do musical theater to this day. Uh, most notably, uh, I believe right now he's Elder Cunningham in the Book of Mormon National Tour in Australia. And for those of you who enjoy Arrow, uh, one of the musicians uh, for a very Potter musical, Carlos Valdez, also known as Cisco Ramon, uh, was, I believe, the backup guitarist for... or one of the backing guitarists for the musical. So keep an eye out and you will see him in the background of the show. Oh, that's awesome. It is really cool. I didn't, I personally didn't, I follow Team Star Kid for years, but I didn't make the connection until I saw Carlos Valdez's full name listed in the credits to Twisted. And since that came out around the same time as The Flash, I was able to make that connection. Like, oh, wow, it's the same person. That's awesome. I need to, I need to pay better attention to those credits. That's, I would not have noticed that. I've also watched the musicals a lot, so. (laughs) As a side note, before I move on to the next one, uh, there are actually three uh, Potter musicals that Team Star Kid has done. There is a very Potter sequel, um, which is narrative-wise the first musical, but chronologically the second, uh, which covers elements of Sorcerer's Stone, uh, Prisoner of Azkaban, and the Order of the Phoenix. 
and then A Very Potter Senior Year, which contains elements of Chamber of Secrets and the Deathly Hollows. And notably, A Very Potter Senior Year actually was performed live at LeakyCon, uh, I believe in 2012 or 2013. And actually in that show, they had Ivana Lynch, who plays Luna Lovegood in the movies, play Luna Lovegood in the musical, because she also loves Team Starkid. That's really awesome. It is really awesome. They had a... They did, a, they did a very good job with it, especially given the very limited time frame that they had for putting on the production. Um, so if you if you like the first one, go watch the second and third. Oh, absolutely. All right, so what are we covering second? All right, second is going to be the Team Star Kid musical called Starship. Uh, this one came out in 2011, and the premise, it was actually uh, summarized by Darren Chris as being the Little Mermaid meets aliens meets starship troopers. What a log line. Good oh, yeah. grief. Oh, yeah. And it, that's a ve- it's very accurate, too. I, can't, I, I am not familiar with this one at all, so please blow my mind. Okay, well, uh, the basic premise of Starship is that it follows the life of a bug named Bug, because of course, uh, who lives on Bug World, because of course. Yeah. And Bug's, Bug's big dream is that he wants to be a starship ranger, um, essentially intergalactic police force, uh, which he's learned about because there is a crashed starship on his planet from which he has watched the security tapes so many times that he's learned English. And, comp- and, like, comprehensive knowledge of English. Like, not just, you know, repetition of lines from the video. Um, but he is able to converse in it. Okay. Uh, and the action is kick-started when, uh, when Bug decides... When it is the official, essentially, like, day when everyone gets their jobs they're going to do. And Bug is asked what he wants to do by the, by the over-queen of Bug World. And he says, I want to be a starship ranger. And everyone... All of the bugs around him, his family, his friends are all extremely confused by what even a starship ranger is. And then, of course, a starship crash lands on their planet, and the action is kickstarted. Oh, that's that's fantastic! It is really good. Starship, technically wise, has a lot of really great set pieces. Like the, as in the actual set of the show, is really good. They have, uh, I believe. Of there, there's there's a whole scene that takes place around the bay of a functioning starship, and they have like a functioning door for that. They've got really great lighting. Um, they have incredible puppets uh, to portray some of the bugs. Um, they kind of they kind of split half and half uh, how the bugs from Bugs World are portrayed. Some of them are just uh, kind of cardboard cardboard pictures of bugs that they that they cut out and then the actors holding them just kind of wave around in in insect-like motions but some of them uh namely for bug the main character uh bugette who wants to be his love interest uh and for the character pincer um they all have they have if not com- i'm not ver- i'm not very versed in puppet technology and puppetry but to me, they look incredible. They look. They are incredibly well articulated. When I'm watching it, I'm able to focus on the faces of the puppets and not the actors' faces. They have. They're linked to the actors' joints and everything, so they can move when the actors move. Um, and Pincer is an incredibly large and really sophisticated puppet that I think takes four people to use. Oh wow! But it's it, it it's Pincer is gigantic and very impressive. Starship also, uh, since it's a Starkhead musical. 
Um, it has a lot of uh, shout outs to other media and some of the other works that they've done. Uh, like in the first, like in a very Potter musical, Ron's thing is that he has the, the signature blue headband. Um, and that headband actually plays a role in Starship as a plot device. What? Uh, so, okay. yeah. That's, yeah, that's so cool. they reference that. And there is a point at which they even reference Glee in a very, uh, in a very circular way. Which partially beca- was because on the day when they recorded the version to go up on YouTube, uh, at the time, Darren Chris was on Glee, and they knew that he was in the audience, so they had to make a joke about it for him. Oh, that's great. Starship actually was Team Star Kids' first completely original musical, and so because it was their first really original musical, they were able to release the album for sale on iTunes. Uh, and... In of in an, in a, in a very great achievement, uh, their album actually was uh, number one on the iTunes charts for cast albums for a while, and made it up to number four on the general iTunes charts, which is oh, wow. which is which is incredible. It's this production company from Michigan and Chicago that had number four on the iTunes charts without being linked to a to a big production company or anything. That's huge. As thematically, Starship discusses uh, the themes of capitalism, uh, xenophobia, love and relationships, and the value of sacrifice. Of course, they all address it with really great lyrics and everything, too. Darren Chris wrote the book and the music for it. Music-wise, Starship is... It, it leans really heavily into the Little Mermaid inspiration. Because there's, you know, there's the classic Disney I Want song... Uh, there's a song sung by the bad guy. There's a song which is a lot like Under the Sea, also from The Little Mermaid. So it that played a very strong influence in Starship, music-wise and plot-wise too, but I don't want to spoil everything. So Okay. As a last note, Starship is the first musical, uh, at least that we're discussing today, uh, to introduce some new cast members, namely uh, Meredith Stepien and Denise Donovan, who are still members of Star Sh- of Star Kid to this day, which is good because in the past, uh, when they started out, they didn't really have an even gender ratio between the between the cast members and the production, the pr- the people working on the production and everything. Uh, but they've gotten a lot better at that in recent years. Alrighty. And I would be I would I would be very ashamed of myself if I didn't mention uh, that if you enjoy Starship. You should go read uh, the fan fiction uh, titled "Learning to Dance," um, which it which expands on the narrative of Starship, uh, and particularly follows the characters of Commander Up and Lieutenant Taz. And it's it's fan fiction, but it reads like you're reading a published novel. So it is available on on fanfiction.net and the artist's website. Look it up if you like Starship. Very very cool. That's one I need to check out. Uh, it is super rad. Sure. So, what's going to be uh, number three? All right, number three is Holy Musical Batman. Oh only, yeah. Only to avoid copyright, instead of Batman, it is B and then the at symbol and man. That's how they stylized it. Ha. <laughs> uh, yes. This show came out in on YouTube at least in 2012. Uh, I actually became, one of my friends texted me uh, when they released it, and I actually was on a choir trip at the time. And so then I had to spend the rest of the choir trip not being able to watch it, which was which was torture, because I, because I loved it and I didn't get to watch it. <laughs> That's just the meanest thing they could have done. 
Yeah, how dare Stark had not take into into consideration my own personal schedule? I, a fan among thousands, if not millions. Listen, if they're not catering to one person, what are they even doing? I know, right? <laughs> okay, so, Holy Musical Batman. Mm-hmm. Holy Musical Batman, uh, I would frame it as, as a Golden Age, or even sometimes Adam West-ish take on Batman versus Superman, only set in the modern day. I mean, you sold me on that. You sold me on the uh, Adam Westish part alone, so... As in, specifically, uh, Holy Musical Batman uh, combines kind of the cheesy uh, Adam Westish cartoon gags with some of the... with parodying uh, the personas of Batman versus Super- Superman from the current DC uh, Extended Universe and even the Dark Knight trilogy with some of the animated series addressing and discussion of more serious topics. Okay. So essentially kind of, they kind of nitpick things from different uh, interpretations of Batman and then combine it into this comprehensive and very cohesive, I guess, presentation of Batman as a character. That's really cool. That's a good way to do it. It is. Part of that is because uh, this this musical was very much so a labor of love uh, because two of the guys on the production team, actually two of the more so driving forces of the production uh, Nick and Matt Lang were a major force behind this musical because they really love them some Batman. And there is a... Batman has a, a monologue towards the end of the show that really addresses the topic of uh, kind of like the gritty realism and cynicism of modern-day superheroes versus the, the optimism and not necessarily like the, the innocence of Golden Age superheroes, but it kind of kind of addresses that disparity in modern presentations of superheroes. Um, and the whole musical is just a love letter from them, from the from the Langs to Batman in general. That's really neat. It is. Plot-wise, holy musical Batman, within the first... It, it is Batman's journey towards the essentially what is the Justice League. In the first song, they kill off the Joker. So the Joker does not appear in this show at all, which is... I. I'm not the most up on Batman canon. You're probably more versed in that than I am, Matt. But I don't know of any Batman media that doesn't directly involve the Joker in some way. But this one does. Okay. Uh, it's it's rare. He's he's usually a present somewhere. So. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. that's a good take. That's a that kind of opens yeah. things up if the Joker's not around and making trouble. Yeah, it opens it up to um, a lot of the to a lot of the characters from Batman's Rogues Gallery. Uh, play a role they even have i think they're just if they're not directly called the rogues gallery they are the rogues of gotham and they are essentially the major antagonist of the musical which follows batman's kind of journey towards journey out of his dark dark gritty nolan-esque persona and behavior towards a more towards a more emotionally balanced lifestyle (laughs) Okay. And this is partially caused uh, by Batman's meeting with one Dick Grayson. And I am sure you will, I'm sure that you will be pleased to know that this Dick Grayson is the one from his first ever, uh, from his first ever role in the Batman series where he is in the pixie pants and pixie boots. Oh dear. Yes. It is. And cheesy and punny and, and it's, it's a very good relationship. 
Okay, that's pretty good. That's not my preferred Dick Grayson, but that's pretty good. Notably with Pulley Musical Batman, uh, they actually predicted some of the things uh, from the Batman versus Batman versus Superman movie and then did them better. Notably, uh, if you are on Tumblr, I'm sure that you've seen uh, a screen cap where it's uh, a guy dressed up like Superman saying like, oh, like, oh, I didn't know that was what you're up to, Batman. Or should I say, Batman? And then just a picture of Batman with the caption, high-pitched screaming. That's from this musical. Wow. They do have a Batman versus Superman fight, and it is it is glorious. <laughs> and uh, and I don't want to spoil the outcome uh, for people who go and watch it, but it is it is at the same time it is both more accurate to the comics and even less accurate than Batman versus Superman. That sounds pretty great. It is. Like that's uh, that's uh, that's another one that I'm definitely gonna have to give a good listen to. Good. The music for this, uh, the music for Holy Musical Batman is actually by a new composer, uh, well, at least new to Team Starkid. Uh, Nick Gage and Scott Lamps were the music team. Uh, and in, as opposed to uh, Starkid's earlier shows, where they have a very, uh, where they have a very much some musical theater bent, Holy Musical Batman follows more of kind of a, kind of an electropop style with a lot of, I don't want to necessarily say like 50s-esque, kind of like the beats but it is, but it is, it is a very different musical feel than the previous shows that we've discussed. But it's still really good. Okay, it's always it's always nice to see to see a company like that take on some different styles because I can do some oh, interesting yeah. things. Mm-hmm. And then I believe that uh, Nick Gage at least has stayed on with uh, Starkid since then. Nice. Are you ready for the fourth show? Yeah, if you're if you're ready to move on, we can we can bounce over number four. Yeah, sure. What you got for me? Okay. Fourth show for uh, Team Starkid here is Twisted, which came out in 2013. And the premise for Twisted is uh, I organized with this lot with this like logic, not a puzzle, but the Wizard of Oz is to Wicked as the movie Aladdin is to the musical Twisted. So whereas the Wizard of Oz, uh, whereas Wicked took uh, the Wicked Witch of the West from the book The Wizard of Oz and then made her the protagonist and redeemed her. Twisted takes Jafar, or as they say in all promotional materials, uh, Jafar, with an apostrophe in it to avoid copyright. Twisted did (laughs) to Jafar what Wicked did to Elphaba. So now Jafar is the protagonist, and he is redeemed to a certain extent. Okay, that's real awesome. It is. So then the plot of Twisted follows follows Jafar. It is essentially... What the leading up to the movie Aladdin and then Jafar's perspective throughout the movie, uh, although it does take uh, it does diverge from the movie Aladdin at the end of the show, but I'm not going to spoil that because it is a big twist and it's really great. All right, that's that is that is a good hook. Good production wise, Twisted brings into uh, the Star Kid repertoire or the Star Kid rotating cast uh, Rachel Soglin. Uh, who played the princess. Um, Not Princess Jasmine, just the princess. Okay. And I neglected to mention in Holy Musical Batman, uh, but Holy Musical Batman introduced uh, Jeff Blim, who in that show played Sweet Tooth and in Twisted plays Aladdin. A very different interpretation of Aladdin, but still Aladdin nonetheless. Twisted is a... 
It's a show that goes even, it leans even harder on on the tongue-in-cheek humor than previous uh, Starkid shows, especially because a lot of Twisted parallels and addresses the real-life events of the Disney-Pixar uh, company merger and how, in some cases, and the, the benefits of moving on or the benefits of adhering to old ways that have worked in the past or into trying new things or getting rid of things that are seen as unnecessary. And it, admittedly, it took me a couple of watchings to try to pick up on that context, uh, but it's definitely there. Okay. They also, uh, in this show, very much so uh, tear to pieces a lot of the tropes that are commonly associated with Disney movies. They have a whole song called Take Off Your Clothes, which is a parody of every Disney love song ever and of the questionable references that are sometimes in Disney songs or in movies. There are a few of those, yeah. Yes. Uh, so that song in particular addresses uh, addresses those thematic tendencies. Uh, they also have references to how, you know, why does Jasmine not recognize Aladdin because even though all he does is change his clothes? That is a plot point in the show. They also address uh, kind of the balance between idealism and an idealized version of the world versus looking at the world in a realistic point of view. They also talk about what makes a villain and the, the effects that one person can have on the world and how they can change it. And then also how history views everyone. What history decides to make the villain or decides to make the victor, the hero. Okay, so they get kind of deep into it there a little bit, huh? Yeah, Starkid goes pretty deep with a lot of their... With a lot of their things. That's really good. That's that's something that doesn't get done as much as it should. And part of that is through the music for the show, which in this case was written by A.J. Holmes, who did the music for A Very Potter Musical. Namely, it follows, it follows a lot in the tradition of Wicked, but there are a lot of really great songs in Twisted. Uh, there's a whole song about uh, about Jafar's motivation for, what he's, for why he's doing what he's doing. Uh, and there's a song meditating on what on what truly makes a villain and if he's going down the correct path and then of course the princess gets a song which is cheesy and cliched and incredibly ridiculous so there is that counterpoint of drama and humor nice twisted uh well holy musical batman and twisted also uh tend to use a lot of uh a lot of language, namely in this case, curse words. Uh, so if you are sensitive to that, uh, do be aware. There is a whole song that is essentially one giant F-bomb in Holy Musical Batman. And there is a song about bestiality and Twisted with several curse words, which is really funny. But at the same time, if you're sensitive to it, uh, do be aware of that. So are we ready for number five? Yeah, let's go for it. All right, what you got? All right, the fifth musical is The Trail to Oregon. I initially was, I was very conflicted on uh, which ones to include in general because I don't think I've ever seen a Team Stark musical that I didn't enjoy in some capacity. But so I ended up picking The Trail to Oregon. And the premise of The Trail to Oregon, which came out in 2015, is Oregon Trail, the musical. I, I feel like I should have seen that coming. Yeah, yeah, it shaped like itself. Namely, that the the creator of this show, uh, Jeff Blim, who had who was Aladdin and then uh, and then Sweet Tooth, um, he just really wanted to write a musical about the video game, The Oregon Trail. 
So he did. N narrative wise, plot wise, it's pretty much it pretty much follows the video game, the Oregon Trail. You know, a family has to go from I believe they start out in Illinois, all the way up to the Great Willamette Valley in Oregon. And if anyone listening is actually from those places, I apologize for my pronunciation. I have never been there, and so I'm not sure how to pronounce them. We make no claims at being uh, being experts on pronunciation on this show at all. Yeah. I, I do try. I just forgot to try for this. They, uh, this is actually the first musical by Starkid to involve the audience, namely for this case, uh... At the beginning of every show, the cast gets to select their character names uh, from names that the audience shouts out. So for the musical that got, for the performance that got put up on YouTube, the father of the wagon team is nicknamed, is named Jack Bauer. Oh, jeez. The mother is Slippery When Wet. The, the daughter is Mouthface. And the son is Crapple. Oh, no. And, and the grandpa is Titty Mitty. And they all chose these names for the, for the for themselves. They didn't. They they got to pick. They didn't have to pick. You know, like the the worst one possible. The actors okay. chose them. Okay. Uh, so they, they brought that on themselves. And then also at intermission, the audience was allowed to select uh, which character dies. No. Yes. And but on the YouTube version, uh, you are allowed to select which ending you want to see. So you get to pick in the YouTube version. Um, and I believe when they recorded it, they just recorded all five endings more or less in a row. All right. The Trail to Oregon has really great characterization for the characters, the wagon party, with a really complex narrative with a lot of different moving pieces. They talk about family uh, and what it means to be a family. Uh, they talk about the value of sacrifice, especially on behalf of parents for their children. And it also takes a good hard look at the relationships, again, especially in marriages which are not all which might not always be the happiest or the most beneficial to both sides it also as a counterpoint to that contains what possibly might be one of the some of the world's best songs about dysentery and there yes there there is more than one song in the musical about dysentery oh man wow yeah <laughs> that is a lot of people's reaction when they see the show and oh uh, this is a song about uh, about about people having a lot of diarrhea. Notably, they, they don't actually have diarrhea on stage, so if that is something that you are concerned about, don't worry. They wouldn't do that to the actors, especially because the actors are often the writers and the people who compose the music, so they wouldn't do that to themselves. Well, that's good, at least. They also, uh, partially because uh, when when the Trail to Oregon was actually uh, was actually being being put on uh this was during what they called the star kids summer where they were running diff they were running two shows at the same time and just alternating days so because of that uh the trail to oregon has a very limited cast so everyone everyone doubles up on characters that they play so the mother plays not only the mother but also the but also the the girlfriend of a bartender that they meet on the trail and a mother bison and in particular one of the actors joey richter uh the same one who played uh ron weasley in a very potter musical and bug in starship uh, in this case he plays about 17 different background characters and in the first song i believe he has to go through at least six of them within wow. the course of a song it is incredible that's um that's real impressive it is. I believe that there is a, 
for this show, they've released some of the bloopers on YouTube, and you can watch at some point where he is, you know, getting into costume and everything, and he just puts, you know, like, this is the shirt for the bartender, this is the shirt for the, for the guy who runs the general store, this is the shirt for the guy who who tells them about the way about the trail to Fort Kearney. This is the what this is the shirt for the guy who pretends to be a cow. It's just layer after layer after layer and he never messes up once. Dang. Yes, it is it is an incredible level of dedication and also professionalism on his part. And notably, uh Trail to Oregon actually that summer was playing opposite uh, a show called Annie a Musical, which is about Anakin and Darth Vader in Star Wars. Actually, personally, I don't think I've ever seen the full version of that, partially just because of just stuff happening. Um, so I couldn't speak about that. Uh, I'm sure it's a great musical. I just haven't seen all of it, and I didn't want to talk about it on the show in depth. So, okay. So they did do a Star Wars musical. Well, I mean, I have to go find that now. Yeah. The Trail to Oregon's music uh, actually was written by Jeff Blim, who plays the father, who wrote who wrote the show, and... There are there are there are a lot of ridiculous songs. The song that introduced uh, that introduced this segment is from their the opening song of the show called Independence, which is where they go through Independence, Missouri, and they stock up and everything. And a lot of it is a patter song that incorporates uh, a lot of what I imagine are the the little like tidbits and help like informational help pieces that would show up when you actually played the Oregon Trail game. And it is incredible. It is a very, that one is a very fast song and it's one of my favorites. That just sounds really great. It is. It is a great show. Well, these, these are all some pretty excellent choices. Uh, anyone that has Mm -hmm. a a binge day coming up, uh, dive into this if you haven't yet. Mm -hmm. They are great shows. And they're great people, too. Right now, they actually have uh, kind of a Titans East-West thing going on between uh, the people of the company. Uh, Because probably about a year ago or so, um, about half of the members of Team Stark had moved out to California and currently uh, operate under the banner of the Tin Can Bros Production Company. Uh, And then the other half of them are currently located in Chicago, uh, where they are still uh, producing shows and things such as... uh, the show that my friend and I saw last year, Firebringer. So they're still making things. They're just in two separate locations right now. That's real cool. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can vouch, if you go listen to a uh, very Potter musical, uh, the song Going to Hogwarts will be stuck in your head forever. Oh, yes. When, uh, since it came out in, in 2009, 2009, uh, when the last Harry Potter movie came out, uh, some friends and I went to the midnight showing because you have to. And uh, among the audience, uh, while we were waiting for the actual movie to start, uh, we all were singing Get Back to Hogwarts. And it was a very magical experience. (laughs) All right. Well, Christina, thank you so much for coming on and telling me all about these. Thank you. It was a pleasure to come on. Where can people find you online? All right. Well, people can find me online uh, on my Twitter account, which is at CWoodsArt. Uh, because Twitter doesn't like long usernames. Uh, and then I also have a Tumblr account, uh, which is Christina Woods Art on Tumblr. And I'm also currently working on my website, uh, so that will hopefully be up with links on my Twitter and Tumblr soon. You can find us on the internet at fifthdraw.com, follow us on Twitter at fifthdraw, or email us at social at fifthdraw.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Matt Hoodley. 
If you enjoyed this episode, why not give us a rating and a review, or maybe tell a friend? Getting the word out helps us immensely. Our music is Arcade Montage by Lee Roosevelt and can be found at the Free Music Archive. That's all for this week. We hope you'll join us next week for another episode. And hey, thanks for listening. <laughs>